Welcome to Stacks and Stories, the podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. On today's episode, Katie talks with Emily Bandy, Acquisitions Editor at the University Press of Mississippi. They talk about the process of creating an academic book, going from an idea in an author's head to a final printed copy ready to be sold and read. Stay tuned. All right. Hi there, Stacks and Stories listeners. My name is Katie. I am normally one of the people editing the podcast, but today I am in front of the microphone because we have a very special guest with us today for the podcast. Special guest, please introduce yourself. (laughs) Hello, I am um, Emily Bandy. I am an acquisitions editor at University Press of Mississippi. And I'm super excited to be here and talking with you this morning. We're so stoked to have you here. (laughs) So Emily is here because with libraries, we have a lot of books, we circulate a lot of books, but we are not the people that make the lot of books. So <laughs> I thought it would be really cool to have someone who actually works in publishing and also is in the same complex as us. We are next door neighbors. That's right, right across the street. <laughs> yep. To come on to have a talk just about the sort of how the sausage gets made process. Yeah. So first off, can you tell us just a little bit about your role as an acquisitions editor, what that is and what sort of things the University Press of Mississippi does in general? Sure. Um, So I am an acquisitions editor. That means that I work with authors um, from the very beginning, sort of, hey, here's an idea that could potentially be a book one day. That stage all the way through to a book in someone's hands in a bookstore. As the uh, University Press of Mississippi, we have a a mission to publish scholarly and regional trade books. we have a mission statement, and I don't have it in front of me, so you'll have to look it up on our website. But I don't know our mission statement either. It's, all good. <laughs> it's something if this is not a test. But um, our goal is to to publish books that bring the South and our scholarly subject areas to readers, um, and so specifically our subject areas, African American studies and popular culture are two of our main subject areas. They're sort of the through lines at the press. So everything we publish, almost everything we publish, touches one, if not both, of those areas. Um, And of course, we also publish regional stories, so books on Mississippi and Louisiana. We have been around for 52 years. Uh, We um, are a full-time staff now, I think of 25 folks. We've had some new hires in the last couple of years, and so we've we've grown a little bit in the last few years, but that that is who we are in a nutshell. I can go into a lot more detail, but I will, (laughs) I'll stop now. So let's say that I am, I am a brand new author. I am fresh out of academia. I've got some cool idea about a book that I want to publish. What would my first step be? Yeah, so the first step is always to uh, submit a proposal. So specifically, all most university presses have submission guidelines on their website, um, but that is an author presenting a, a formal ask or a formal pitch for their project. And so for us, we we ask for things like, you know, what what is it about? A summary, an overview. What is your annotated or selected bibliography? Who are you citing? What are you building on? One of the most misunderstood parts of the submission process, I would say, is the uh, comp titles, comparable titles. We ask authors to provide a list of, of similar books. And 
I'd say at least 50% of the time, a new author will say, oh, there's nothing out there like my book, Uh, which is great. And we want that, of course. We want your project to be unique. We want to publish a new story. We know that what you're doing is groundbreaking, but we need to know that there's someone who's going to read it. And so I always encourage authors uh, to think about that question, to think, what are the books that the people you hope will read your book currently reading and that that is the author's way of showing the press showing our acquisition staff that that there is an audience that exists that there is a a market for the book so all of those things are part of the submission process that's the first step in publishing a book and that is that's what an author who's interested in publishing should do is to check out their potential publisher's website um, and look at their submission guidelines what they might ask to see in a submission So do you have to have your entire book already written before you submit it? Definitely not. Some authors do, um, depending on a whole host of of factors. Some authors might be writing a book based on their dissertation. In that case, they have a full book manuscript. It might need some revisions. It might need some updates or changes, but, but they have a full text. It's definitely not a requirement for us. Most of the time, I our authors are writing a proposal based on the book that they hope to write, that they hope to finish. Now, we do tend to ask for one or two sample chapters. We prefer at University Press of Mississippi that those be sample chapters from the book project itself rather than a writing sample from a separate project. Different presses have different requirements and priorities in that regard. But but no, the, to answer your question, you don't have to have the full book written. Some authors find it helpful to go ahead and, and write the full manuscript, then submit it for peer review. I can talk more about peer review later in the process. But other authors prefer to have one or two sample chapters, make sure they're on the right track, get some early feedback from the press, and, and then move forward from there. Cool. So you have decided that my book, I, my proposal is very nice. I am a good writer. You sh- <laughs> you want to just think that you think that this might be a good addition to the press's catalog. What happens next? Yeah. So there are there are three main hurdles that every book we publish has to clear. The first is that internal review process. So an author submits the proposal. I evaluate it, I present it to our team. Once a month we have acquisitions meetings and that involves the other editors at the press um, as well as our marketing director and our publicists and then our production and design manager. And in that meeting we're talking through those questions. You know, What is this book doing? What is it building on in the field? Where does the audience exist? What market is out there? Our production and design manager always wants to know things like, will there be images? What is the sort of design aesthetic for the book? Are there any concerns there? Um, And from there, once we've decided, yes, this is a good fit, yes, we want to pursue publication, the next hurdle, and this is integral to scholarly publishing, is peer review. So every project that we publish needs at least two positive reader reports attached to it. Ideally, it takes two readers to get two positive reports, but that is not always the case. Um, Occasionally, reports might come back mixed. One reader really strongly recommends publication. The other reader has some concerns. In that case, we might seek a third reader's opinion. If both readers have some significant concerns, we might ask the author to revise and send it back out to readers. So there's lots of ways that peer review can go. Peer review is, is, like I said, an integral part of the process something that distinguishes scholarly publishing from from trade publishing. 
And we, we use those reader reports as part of the third hurdle, which is board approval. University Press of Mississippi is what we call a consortium press, which means we are represented or we represent, rather, the eight state universities of Mississippi. So unlike some other scholarly publishers you may have heard of, like the University of Texas Press or the University of Chicago Press, those are presses that are on a single college campus that represent a single college or, or university. We represent all eight. We get a little bit of money from all eight of the state universities. And our editorial board is made up of representatives from each of those eight state schools. We meet with our board once a quarter, so winter, spring, summer, and fall. We just had our summer meeting last week. Each editor presents, um, it's basically a glorified book report. It's a description of the project, author bio, and then excerpts from those reader reports as well as the author's response. So as an author, when you receive those reader reports, you have the chance to say, okay, I plan to make changes one, two, and four. I'm not going to do number three, and here's why. It's essentially our due diligence um, presenting to the board. This project has been vetted by experts in the field. It's a strong fit for our list. Here's why we think we should publish it. And then following board approval, the rest is just, you know, writing the book. <laughs> So are there any points that during this time of like peer review or approval or anything like that where a project just might completely fall through where it's like, no, well, we're not so sure about this one and might do a take backsies? Sure. So depending, the positive reader reports are essential to the process. If both readers come back and say, absolutely not, you know, there are a couple of things that might happen. We, I might look at the reader reports. I will look at the reader reports and and see, okay, what kind of concerns are they raising? Is is this a matter of reader number one is a an old school scholar, is very traditional and, and wants things done a certain way, and this author is taking a new approach? Or are these concerns, they haven't cited any of the appropriate sources, or they've cited them in a way that is logically incorrect, um, those kinds of things. So I will look at the reader reports and decide. And I might say to the author, look, based on these reports, unfortunately, we will be unable to pursue publication. Or I might say, based on the reports, I need you to do one, two, three, and four uh, to revise. And then we might resubmit and send it back out to readers. Same thing with the board. The board has the final say. In my six years at University Press of Mississippi, I've never seen the board vote not to approve a project. And I think that um, as an editorial staff and an acquisition staff, we do a good job of not taking a book to the board until it's ready, until I'm confident that it will get approved. So that means occasionally I'll take a book that has six reader reports to the board because it's gone through multiple rounds of revision. The author um, really had to make some significant changes to get to get the book where it needed to be. But um, I won't take a book too soon if I'm not confident that, that it meets our standards. Different university presses have different relationships with their boards. I think that we have a really strong relationship with our board and we're very fortunate they understand our mission and they, they are supportive of that mission. So that is not necessarily the case that every, uh, that board approval is, is as seamless at every university press. And so the board has approved my book. The, peer, the reader peer reviews have said that this is good. What is the next step? Yeah, so as I said, you know, once it's cleared those three hurdles, the, all that's left to do is, is write and revise the final manuscript. So 
typically an author will have a revision plan. They've said, I'm planning to make these changes and I need X amount of time to make them. Sometimes it's, I'm going to take two weeks and make all the revisions. And sometimes it's, I'm going to take two years. It really, it it varies um, depending on the author schedule, the amount of work involved, all kinds of things. We have a set of manuscript guidelines that explain what the author needs to do just in terms of formatting. If there are images, they need to be high resolution, they need to have captions, they may need permissions. If there is significant text quoted within the manuscript, there might need to be permissions for that. Um, All kinds of things like that, detailed um, guidelines. Once an author has submitted their final materials that meet all of our guidelines, all of the images, permissions, captions, etc. are included, it typically takes us about a year to 14 months to go from copy editing to books in stores. Um, And so the first thing, once you submit the manuscript, as soon as the editor or their assistant has time, they will review those materials, make sure they meet our guidelines, and transmit them to our project editors for copy editing. So our our project editor department is four full-time staff, um, and they they ready the manuscripts for copy editing and then work with a network of freelance copy editors to get the projects through that process. Authors have a chance to review the copy edited text to accept or reject any changes. Um, From there, the project editors will clean up the manuscript and send it to our production and design department. We have three full-time designers um, and they typeset almost every book. They work with some freelance typesetters as well on occasion. But they will typeset the book, create the page proofs, which again are sent back to the author to review, proofread, make any final minor corrections or changes. Our designers also are the ones who work on the front cover. They, they create a front cover design for approval. They work with the printer to get an estimate, to send the files to the printer, get the books printed, make sure they're on schedule. And then the books hit our warehouse and um, are, are sent to stores. And, and meanwhile, I guess while all of that very technical actual process of making the book happens, our marketing department is hard at work. They write to the author and send a questionnaire. The author fills out to share their ideas for promotion, their possible networks, things like course adoption and conferences for academic books or trade outlets, you know, podcasts that the author might appear on, or or in some rare cases, even TV shows, things like that. The marketing team will create a promotional plan that they share with the author for their approval. They work together to sort of come up with this game plan, um, plan of attack for promoting the book. So all of that is happening at the same time that the editorial copy editing and design process is going on. So with sending these books back and forth with copy editing and typesetting and design and things like that, I assume it's mostly electronic these days? Yes, it is. It is entirely electronic (laughs) these days. Um, So you're not overtaxing your printer, printing out like multiple copies of 400 pages. At the start of the pandemic, actually, we got rid of the Xerox machine, which was a very big change. Um, But now almost everything is digital. Occasionally, if you have a big photography book, you might have the author come to the press. I don't know that this has been done in a few years, but it, it has occasionally happened where they will come to the press and and 
and stand over the designer's shoulder and and look and create a layout. Now that's a very rare situation. Pretty much everything is is digital these days. A very rare situation that I imagine is terrifying for the designer. <laughs> <laughs> it's an it's more involved than they typically prefer. <laughs> So we've got now just a vague idea of from start to finish how a book gets made. So I'm going to ask you a couple of fun questions now. If you could hammer into the heads of every hypothetical author who is going to come to you with their proposal, if you could hammer into their heads one fact that you would want all of them to know, what would it be? That's such a good question. Um, I already had my soapbox stood on my soapbox about the comp titles so make sure that you you take that to heart but i would also say you know to make the best use of everyone's time really look do your research when it comes to potential publishers um we we accept unsolicited submissions so i will get proposals all the time that are just not a good fit for University Press of Mississippi. They're outside of our subject areas. They're they're on really wonderful or worthwhile topics that have nothing to do with the books that we publish, and so therefore we're a terrible fit because we don't have an established network. We don't have key contacts and sources, resources in the field. So when you are looking to submit a proposal, look at one, the books that you used in your research, who published those books? Use the, the internet is your friend. Use the, the press websites. Every university press has a website and, and their website explains their subject areas. So really to make the best use of everyone's time, I would say do your research, make sure that you're submitting to publishers that have that have a network and that are able to to really market your book so your book can be successful there. So aside from just the basic thing of just just do your research, please, <laughs> just do your dang research. <laughs> what else could this hypothetical author do to make your life so much easier? Like um, build your build yourself the perfect author <laughs> for publishing this book. I mean, it's tricky because I feel like scholarly publishing is is unfortunately a really well kept secret. It's inaccessible to a lot of authors or who just don't know what what's out there. But doing your research, looking at submission guidelines. Again, most university presses will have that on their website. So, so following the guidelines, look, doing your research, figuring out who you should submit to following the guidelines, making sure if we ask for something in those submission guidelines, you've included it as an email attachment and not in the body of the email. That makes it so much easier for me to save uh, and to review later. Your patience is another thing that um, that is sometimes rare these days. We have our acquisitions meetings monthly. We try to get back to authors within six to eight weeks, depending on when they submitted, what all has gone on in the press, when we've had a chance to review and discuss each project. We are doing our best, um, and and we know that submitting your book is an anxious and nerve-wracking process, so um, we want to honor that and, and do our best to get back to you as soon as possible. And so know that, that those are our intentions, and so having some patience can always help. But really, uh, communication is the other big thing. Um, if if and you're an author and you've submitted to multiple presses and another press has gotten back to you more quickly and they've made you an offer, that's great. Let me know. I'm happy to compete for a project. I love competing. Let me know and give me a chance to to compete for your book, to, to meet their offer or beat it. Or to say, oh, that's so good. They're a much better fit for you. Congratulations. Um, but communication is, is always is the, really the name of the game these days. 
Yeah, I used to work at a daycare, and we would always tell the three-year-olds to use your words use whenever your words. <laughs> they were having some nonsense. Uh-huh. So use your words, authors. Yes, and yeah, if you have questions, email is is the best way to reach to reach any of us, um, and and we will do our best to get back as quickly as possible. So I'm I'm not asking you to kiss and tell with this question, <laughs> but have there been any sort of experiences with publishing a book where it could be it doesn't even have to be like putting certain people on blast it could just be like oh COVID happened and then things went crazy or like oh this book publisher suddenly went out of business like this printer went out of business have there been any instances in your six years working at the University Press of Mississippi that have just wanted you to tear your hair out (laughs) (laughs) sure the answer is yes um (laughs) and again like this isn't a gossip podcast we don't have to put people on blast we can we can talk around certain things sure I mean the last couple of years if, if you've paid attention at all have been um, have been trying for publishers supply chain issues cyberware attacks all kinds of things have really impacted especially the kind of back half of the process our designers bless them have had to deal with all of those issues paper running out at our printers or truly one of our printers having this cyber attack and having to move projects elsewhere. It used to be a pretty firm 12-month process, and I I said 12 to 14 months because some of our books have been impacted by those issues. Other things that can be tricky, estimating the print run can be a tough challenge, um, especially during the pandemic. We had one book that we published in 2021, we estimated the print run in December of 2020, and we really didn't know what the market would look like, so we were a little more conservative, and we sold out that first print run within a couple of weeks, which is a really great problem to have, but still a problem. Um, then we're rushing to reprint, and again, the supply chain issues, things take long, um, but you want to have books in stock when when there's the demand. and so. That's it. That's sort of a live and learn situation. I think moving forward, now we know. Oh well, that kind of book was meant was was guaranteed to sell more copies, and we might take a risk next time with our print run and print a few more than we might need. And of course, if, when we do that, they'll sit in the warehouse. Um, but um, there's all kinds of of challenges that can happen, and I think. You know, we are a, a relatively small, I guess technically a mid-sized press with our 25 full-time staff, but that's one thing I'll brag on the press a little bit about is it. that we work together and everybody tends to have, you know, grace, grace and patience with each other, dealing with all kinds of complications. So I know that with academic books, a lot of the publishing is what, what I call the dead tree books, where it's, we've got paper, we've got a physical book, and I know that academic publishing doesn't do things like audiobooks as much as traditional publishing does, but what about ebooks? So every book we publish, we create four ebook editions. It's two EPUB versions and two PDF versions, so depending on the device that you're using to, to read those ebooks, and then there's um, within each type, there's a single user and an institutional user. The single user is what you might get on your Kindle um, from the library or, or from the Amazon store. And the institutional is what a library might purchase to have a an access to for the entire collection, multi-user um, ISBN. And I think, again, I'm not totally familiar with the history, but I think we're one of the first presses who made that switch to eBooks and did it as soon as possible and did it for every project. So when the pandemic hit, for example, I know some presses were really struggling to create eBook editions of their backlist. 
thankfully we already had done that process and so that was not a scramble that we had to forego. The one the one thing in just that chaos of early 2020 where you just take a little breath like oh thank heavens all right. (laughs) One thing we could cross off the list. So are there any other differences between ebooks and traditional books? I assume that the proposal stage would be mainly the same because like they share the same text. Yeah, everything but- from from my part of the process, those those three hurdles, that's all the same because we know our plan will be to publish an, an ebook and a physical copy. It's for us it's a bigger difference. Are we going to do a jacketed cloth hardcover um, or are we going to do a split bind ha- create a hardcover and a paperback edition at the same time it depends on the type of project but but for us that's all the same our designers have a little bit more work to do Um, one thing that we brag about to our authors is that while most of our print books have black and white images unless there's some funding available for color printing we do our ebooks in color Ooh. so if your book is on the watchmen comics the images the stills from the that comic book in the in the manuscript and in the physical book itself may be black and white but online the ebook version will have color images uh, but that takes a little more effort from our designers so there are some pieces to, at the back end of the process well, this has been a really lovely conversation. Yeah. Um, I just, one more question before we go. We're a library podcast. I'm going to ask you a question about just sort of libraries and things in general. What was the best book you've read recently? Oh, such a good question. <laughs> um, man, and you're putting me on the spot I here. Am, this, is the the right now. this is the hardest, <laughs> the hardest question of the entire podcast. Yeah, let me think. So I recently went to Europe. My best friend and I are turning 30 this year, and so we took a a trip to um, Paris and the French Riviera, among other places. And while I was there, I read this kind of unknown novel by Simone de Beauvoir called Inseparable. Um, And that was a really fun book to be reading while in in Paris. We had just, I actually read it when we got to the Riviera, but it was happening in all these places in Paris that we had just been. And so that was a really special experience. It's a short novel, but it was, it was a really sweet, sweet book to be reading. The short books are sometimes the best books. It's true. <laughs> and I read that one on my Kindle. Nice. <laughs> well, thank you so much for coming to the podcast and talk about us with books. Is there anything that you want to mention that I haven't asked you about? Anything you want to quickly promote at the last minute? I know we... The Library Commission of the Press, we follow each other on Twitter. It's true, so yes. We'll and social sh- media yeah. is, is another, somebody else's job at the press. Right. Um, so, so keep in mind, there's always someone behind those accounts. Yeah, so we are so grateful. Um, we've had really successful years despite some of the challenges of the ongoing pandemic. And um, I think that we've seen folks remembering to to shop local and that includes supporting your local university press your local library uh commission so we we just really appreciate all the support we've had over the last couple of years and hope that people will continue to remember and to to think of the university press of mississippi as one of many great mississippi institutions well again thank you so much for agreeing to take some time out of your day on this very gross rainy day it is bad out there (laughs) very gloomy and come have just a lovely little chat with us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Stacks and Stories, a podcast of the Mississippi Library Commission. We hope you will tune in next time, and we encourage you to visit your local public library often.